You're listening to Research for Equity, a podcast series offered by the University of Global Health Equity, a transformative global health sciences university based in Rwanda. Research done right can be a powerful tool to improve the lives of millions of people around the world. Yet we still have a long way to go in adjusting the vast inequities in healthcare and global health research we see today. Outdated models still endorse researchers and their findings from rich countries over those from the developing world. And yet there is a wealth of high quality research from low income countries that remains untapped and severely underfunded. We need research that addresses the contextual needs of vulnerable communities, influences action in policy and program development, empowers global fighters to advance discovery that benefits underserved populations, and moves us closer to an equitable world. This series meets some of the researchers driving forward this mission and presents a personal view on their work in addressing some of today's most pressing global challenges through an equity lens. Hi, my name is Grace Kelly Muvunyi. I am a UJHE alumni from the class of 2020. I'm also UJHE Student Service Coordinator and today's Research for Equity episode host. This podcast is hosted by UJHE, an institution committed to addressing research inequities by promoting global health research to meet the needs of vulnerable communities and delivering innovative training for global health researchers and professionals to serve the underserved. Today's episode speaks to Sandra Isanu, a coordinator in UJC's Department of Community Health and Social Medicine. Her paper, published in Preventative Medicine Reports, aims to identify barriers to HIV post-exposure prophylaxis among men who have sex with men in the sub-Saharan Africa region and offers innovative solutions to move forward. I'll let her introduce herself. So my name is Sandra Isano. And I am the coordinator for the uh, community-based education at the UGHE. And I'm very passionate about health equity and social justice. And to me, that means reducing barriers that uh, prevent the most vulnerable population to live up their full potential and providing really resources, voices for them to live a well and dignified health. Thanks for that introduction, Sandra, and welcome to the podcast. So I've spoken a little bit about the paper, but could you give us a more thorough introduction to the challenge you're trying to address in this research? So after my graduation, I was working in a community pharmacy. And while working there, that's where I began noticing that uh, there were people who would come to me and their condition needed to go to the hospital. But then whenever I would ask them, hey, why are you not going to the hospital? Some of these patients were telling me, hey, I feel more comfortable to come to the pharmacy than to the hospital. And I started uh, looking at these people and trying to see what was common among all these people. So most of these people who, who would come to me and express those concerns, some were telling me um, that they were MSM, 
and that is just so uh, hard to go to the hospital where you have you'll be questioned about your sexual orientation, your gender identity, and sometimes instead of the healthcare providers to treat you, they try to convince you to change your sexual orientation. And then uh, I began noticing that there was a problem. So then later, when I joined the Global Health Core uh, Fellowship uh, as a fellow in 2016-2017, I got an opportunity to work with um, an organization that was uh, doing a lot of research on sexual and gender minorities. And I started noticing the that they face a lot of challenges, especially in the sub-Saharan Africa region where same-sex relationships are, are mostly prohibited or are seen as something that is un-African. And so um, when I joined the UGHC as an MGHD student and I got the opportunity to conduct an independent research, I really wanted to uh, to, to work on this topic because uh, they, there is not a lot that was done especially in the context of Sub-Saharan Africa, and there was practically nothing on paper. And the article that I've, I've written um, looks at the barriers to post-exposure prophylaxis use among um, men who have, who have sex with men in Sub-Saharan Africa region. So we collected data from um, men who identify uh, themselves as uh, men who have sex with men, um, from 22 countries across Sub-Saharan Africa. And um, just briefly, a little bit of background about post-exposure prophylaxis. So it's um, a combination of antiretroviral drugs that are used um, after uh, exposure to HIV. So they are normally taken for 28 days. And if taken um, efficiently, they can provide protection up to uh, 80%. So we're trying to assess um, the barriers that prevent men who have sex with men to utilize post-exposure prophylaxis in the context of sub-Saharan Africa. Thanks, Sandra. So you just spoke about this paper exploring the issue of barriers to HIV post-exposure prophylaxis use. Could you tell us what the specific objectives of your co-authored paper were? So our main objective was to uh, identify the individual level barriers to post-exposure prophylaxis use and to identify the social structural barriers uh, to post-exposure prophylaxis use. And then uh, we also sought to identify the knowledge on, on HIV and on post-exposure prophylaxis use. So briefly, we were looking at the barriers, but at the same time, we wanted to look at the knowledge about both HIV and post-exposure prophylaxis. I see. So you weren't just interested in the barriers to PEP use, but also people's overall knowledge of HIV and PEP. So I'm sure while conducting this project, you must have encountered some interesting and maybe unexpected results. What was the most surprising finding you encountered throughout this project? Well, that's um, not a very straightforward answer. Because um, there were so many things that I found very surprising, but if I were to name a few, I'll say one was um, how uh, we found that really the majority of the people, the study respondents, did not find uh, having a one faithful partner 
as a means of reducing the, the risk of acquiring HIV. So that was one. And then the other was in terms of the HIV knowledge, although the HIV knowledge was relatively high, but there were some basic questions about HIV infection and prevention that were incorrectly answered by the respondents. So for instance, I'll give um, this example of the question that we had about uh, uh, ways that one can prevent uh, from uh, contracting con contracting HIV. And then um, there were there is a big number of respondents who say that um, washing one genitals after a sexual intercourse may prevent from acquiring HIV or pulling out uh, before ejaculation was one of the way that was incorrectly um, stated by respondent as a means of, uh, of, of reducing the HIV transmission. And maybe finally, the other thing was that uh, the majority of uh, the respondent um, stated not knowing where PEP uh, is or where to get PEP from as the main barrier uh, of using PEP. Thanks, Sandra. Those are all really interesting findings and important to understand for this issue. So finally, looking forward to the impact, what every researcher hopes to achieve through their publication. What do you hope your findings will achieve? I think uh, we're able to, to collect very interesting findings and in which we think they could inform policy. So um, maybe what I see really coming out of the, the research findings of this study is to uh, strengthen the education programs. As I mentioned earlier, one of the problems that was identified was uh, the low knowledge of, 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 of PAPE and HIV, so strengthening programs for HIV education for uh, men who have sex with men and even the other key population. And the other thing was um, about um, uh, their, the creating the healthcare delivery systems that are stigma free. So this is also one of the things that our findings told us because we also we found that the majority of our respondents uh, couldn't feel comfortable to discuss with the, the, the healthcare providers their need. So uh, really encouraging them. We, they find our findings are encouraging uh, the creation of stigma-free uh, healthcare system. And then the other thing that I see coming out uh, from our findings was um, making sure that the population most uh, in need of PEP know where to get PEP. Again, this goes back to the finding of that the majority of people didn't know where to get PEP. So um, it's 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 good to make uh, PEP available, but. Um, Oftentimes when people don't know where to get a service, be in healthcare, even not, even in really like a normal life, if you don't know where to get something, then you it might be there, but there's always going to be that gap between you and the service because you don't know how to get to that. So we are calling for educating the population in need of PEP to know uh, the, of the place where to get that PEP and also uh, to ensure is uh, free or affordable to the population uh, that are at high risk of contract contracting HIV. So uh, 
as a person, I'm very passionate about, you know, health equity and making sure everybody gets access to whatever they need to live a dignified life, irrespective of the, their gender, sexual orientation, irrespective of all social constructs that this world, the society has set for people. So I really want to do something to uh, elevate or to improve the health of the most marginalized population in in this in Rwanda and Sub-Saharan Africa uh, context. Thank you so much, Sandra, for joining us on Research for Equity. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To read the full research paper, please visit UJG's research section on site at www.ujg.org research. Stay up to date with the newest UJG podcast on our website and social channels. Follow at UJG underscore org on Twitter and Instagram and at UJG.org on Facebook. See you next time.